Romans 14, verses 1 to 13. If you've been with us for a while, you know we're, we're in the book of Romans. And it's always a, a weird thing for me at the beginning of the message because I'm like, how far do I review? Because uh, to really understand this, it's really important. Let me do as quick a job as I can. Romans chapters 1 through 11, all about the mercies of God. When you read chapters 1, 2, and 3, you're not so sure because it's about God's wrath, that He is serious about sin. But then you come to Romans chapter 3, 20, uh, 21, and it says, but um, Jesus has provided a way that you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. That your righteousness could never ever get you into a perfect heaven, but that Jesus' righteousness can do exactly that. Uh, then the rest of the book through chapter 11 is Really amazing blessings, things that God has done on your behalf. Uh, if you're a Christian, He's made you justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's pretty good. All of the sin in my life, over years and years, and maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, a little bit. You should go and read through the first few chapters of Romans. You'll be convinced. He blesses us and blesses us and blesses us in so many different wonderful ways. And then we come to Romans chapter 12, where we've been uh, for the last couple of weeks. Verses 1 and 2. And Paul says, look, here's a reasonable response to all of this blessing. Here's your reasonable response. You can look there if you want. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul has been speaking to transformers. That is, folks who are being transformed because they're doing these things, chapters 12, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. They are responding to the mercies of God. And let me stop there. This is funny how even your review has to take so many steps. We are responding to God's mercies. We are not here to try to earn God's mercies. We're responding to this free gift that He does. He does everything from the beginning to the end. But He says, now here's your response. Not the way you earn it, but here's how you respond. By, chapter 12, verse 1, relinquishing your body and refusing to be conformed to the way the world thinks. Saying, you know what? I'm not going to be a worldling anymore. I'm going to think the way God wants me to think. I'm going to act the way God wants me to act in response to His mercies. And, and then finally, renewing our minds. Saying, Lord, here's my mind. You do with it what you want. You lead me in the way that you want me to go, and my body will follow. It all wraps up in this word transformer or metamorphosis. It's literally the Greek word there. That we are to be being changed from glory to glory. Metamorphosized. Different today than I was last year. Better. Not, not just different. Better. Right? Different that he's moving me from glory to glory, more and more like Jesus. Okay, here's the deal. As we come now to chapter 14, Paul has shown us, I think he's proved to us, look, if you're serious about this transformation, if you're willing to be transformed, this is supposed to touch every area of your life. How you act, for instance, toward each other. Saw that in chapter 12. How you react to your enemies. Saw that at the end of chapter 12. We saw last week, it's even supposed to affect your, your politics. Yeah, go figure. How you, how you act towards civil authorities. It's supposed to affect how we treat everyone. This metamorphosis. We're supposed to, he said in last, the last chapter, supposed to be loving our neighbors as ourselves. 
That, that is transformed life because that's not what the world does. The world does not love someone just as much as they love themselves. And we love ourselves, don't we? We came to the end of chapter 13 and Paul says, look, at this should even affect the way you think of time. He says, now it's high time to be, to be awakened. He says to a group of transformers here at this church, look, it's time to get out of your cocoon. It's time to be willing to be changed. You're not going to change yourself, but it's time for you to show up every day and say, Lord, change me. It's time to be transformed. Okay, today, chapter 14, here's the question at hand. And Paul's speaking to transformers. Are you willing to be transformed in the way that you interact with other believers who have completely different convictions? than you. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> they call themselves believers, but they're not as serious about pleasing God as you are. They're not as committed to holiness as you are. You know, people who take your pick in your own mind, or watch TV, or go to movies, or smoke Plenty of smoke where you're headed. <clears throat> or, or play cards. Or drink alcohol on occasion. You know, heathen dogs. And some of you are saying, oh, sweet, finally. Pastor's going to, he's talking my language now. It's about time, Pastor. You started talking about those people in the church that are so uptight. They are not as enlightened as I am. You know, can you believe it? The person that would think that a drink would send them to hell or that TV is short for teleperversion. <laughs> you know, legal eagles. The crazy thing is, if you're like me, as I you know, was thinking through this this week, you know what? To some people, I'm totally a legal eagle. To other people, I'm like, that dude's a heathen dog. This, the way I look at some people, I think, is from the perspective of a legal eagle. The way I look at other people, if, I, if I'm just doing my own thing, if I'm not listening to the Lord, is that, oh, they're heathen dogs. Because we have different convictions concerning non-essentials. It's going to be a word you're going to hear probably quite a bit. I hope you hear it quite a bit today. It has to do with non-essentials, things that are in the Bible, but it's not clear exactly what the Lord means. And he, apparently he left it that way for a reason. Let me give you an example. There are good and godly people who have this, this issue going on. Dwight L. Moody, famous preacher. Apparently he heard uh, Spurgeon, uh, another famous preacher. This was back in the day. I wasn't born yet. Some of you were. No, no, I'm kidding. It was before any of us were born. He heard Spurgeon preach, and the guy preached up a storm, and it was awesome. Spirit-filled, anointed, all of it. Moody was floored. He was like, man, Lord, someday make me a preacher like that. That is amazing. He, he is a famous preacher in his own right. So he, he goes to uh, Spurgeon's office, and he opens the door, and he finds this man who has been just raising the roof with the Spirit, and he's smoking a cigar. And Moody was flabbergasted. How can this be? I mean, I just heard you preach. You were anointed by the power of God. And here I come and I find you smoking a cigar. 
Well, apparently Moody was a rather large man. And Spurgeon said to him, well, my vice is tobacco. Apparently yours is food. (laughs) Wow. That is the love of Christ exhibited among two great preachers. Here's the deal. It's to be expected. We should be grateful when you begin to really break this down and think about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that in any true revival, and we've been praying for a revival, right? We go through the book of Romans, we're asking, Lord, we want to be changed and we want to be world changers. In any true revival, you're going to deal with people of different backgrounds, convictions, different things in their lives coming together. Think of it. People from all walks of life, and I believe we have a great cross-section here, Uh, belief systems that they grew up with, educational things, family backgrounds. Jesus comes and rescues us. I can tell you, in our body today, we have some who have been rescued from cults, strict, super strict religious upbringing. We've had others that have been rescued despite no religious upbringing. We have some who have come from a lifestyle, habitual lifestyle of sex, drugs, rock and roll. We have some that have lived an almost exclusive life as a prototypical suburban family with the two cars and I've got 1.2 siblings. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but people who've lived like, a, like a, what you would think is a, a normal American life. We have all of these people coming in to one family. Welcome to the family of God. Well, is this not the ideal setting for the biggest dysfunctional family you've ever seen? We are knit together from different places, different backgrounds. And it can either be this awesome patchwork quilt of beauty or it can be a Frankenstein mess. We can either be the Brady Bunch or the Bratty Bunch. Every, I promise you, every society that actually has real revival, they're going to deal with this. They're going to come to this crossroads. And if you look at the churches that Paul wrote to, pretty much all of them had the exact same thing going on. It happened all over the world, wherever the gospel went effectively. Think of it. Jews, very, very strict upbringing. Even their rules had rules. The Jews were the recovering legal eagles. And there were the Gentiles, the recovering heathen dogs. They're like, doesn't it say in the Bible somewhere, you've got to fight for your right to party? <laughs> nope, don't say that. But Gentiles were like, look, this is, this is how I grew up. I, I'm still learning this. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here. You look at the, the churches in, in Galatia, in Colossae, in Thessalonica, um, as, and you read between the lines, you see that this, this kind of thing was happening all over. And especially in Corinth, they had the exact same situation that we're going to look at right here in Rome. Here's the question. How do transformers deal with other transformers that have been brought into the family of God from all different crazy backgrounds? Verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Doubtful. It's really important for us to understand what he's talking about here. He's talking about the non-essentials of the faith. Doubtful, disputable. Uh, It's where the Bible isn't explicit. 
toward something. For instance, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's not doubtful. That's in the word. There's a thou shalt not. It's explicit. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is a conviction that you might have that would be different from someone else. And the Bible is either fuzzy or silent or we're not sure. Okay? Uh, the NIV puts it this way. Accept him whose, weak, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. The English Standard Version puts it this way. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay? Look at verse 2. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. The title of the message is Food Fight. That's what this is what we're talking about, disputable matters. The disputable matter at hand, apparently, was about food. The, the church in Rome, and we know the church in Corinth, had this quarreling about food. I actually like that title, Food Fight, because it brings with it a connotation of, like, you know, junior high immaturity, like, hey, let's do what we want and not, not really be mature adults here. Okay, I'm sorry to offend you, junior hires. Um, you understand the idea, right? That the immaturity, okay? Here's what we think is the backstory, because you're like, well, I don't get it. Why were they arguing about food? Apparently, and this is, you know, uh, historians much smarter than I have come to this conclusion. We think the backstory goes like this, that there were some, you could go to the market in Rome. You could go to the market in Corinth. And there were some killer deals on food, on meat. This was top quality, grade A, prime rib, okay? Filet at amazing prices. There was just one problem, one small beef that you might have with it. The reason, I know. Sorry. The reason the meat was so cheap? Because it was left over from pagan temples. It had been offered to idols. So now, okay, here's the dilemma. you got people from different areas of life, right? you got some folks that have been brought up one way, some other folks that like, never even occurred to them to even think this way. Some folks were reasoning with themselves, uh, look, so what? It offered to idols. What is an idol? It's a piece of wood or stone. It's not really a god. Hello? Some people saying to themselves, look, if every fool wants to offer their best cattle to a piece of wood, I'll take it at half price. Works for me. They're probably saying if it's good enough for Zeus, it's good enough for me. But in that same church, there were people who had been saved, blood-bought, loved by Jesus, that came out of paganism. And they'd had for years and years been told, look, if you eat that, that becomes part of you. You think it's okay for them to eat that meat? They've been told, look, that spirit of that animal will become part of you. So there's the dilemma. The food fight happens when, when this happens. The carnivores would say, look, what's your problem? You uptight, legal eagle. And the herbivores would say, you'll find out. 
in hell. Here in Rome, and we know in Corinth too, there was this food fight. And here's the deal. The devil loves stuff like this. Food fights. He loves for us to argue and look down our nose at one another because of non-essential things. The devil would love it if every single minute while people are dying and going to hell, he can get us fighting with each other over stupid stuff like food. Matters of opinion. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, that's, that's goofy. I would never look down on someone, someone for what they ate or didn't eat. But you've got to remember that, that what we're looking at here today, the, the word is living and active. It speaks to us daily. It speaks to us right now. We're not talking about just food and, and meat. But the larger principle here is don't look down on others when it comes to disputable matters. That is, matters of opinion. Let me clarify this again. I'll probably say it a few more times before we're done. We are not talking about essentials. This message, you cannot wrap up this, this message by saying, okay, Pastor Doug said to mind your own business and leave everybody alone. No. Augustine probably said it best. He said, look, on essentials, unity. What are the essentials? Uh, virgin birth, uh, the deity of Christ, um, the bodily death, burial, resurrection, the Ten Commandments, the, the places where it's so cut and dry, it's very, very clear. This is what God would have you not to do or what he'd have you to do. Real identifiable sin, thou shalt not kind of things, okay? In those things, unity, okay? In non-essentials, though, Augustine said liberty. That means let that other person live with their own convictions. He says, but in all things, charity. means even if you have to correct someone, if you need to come, do it with love. On essentials, unity. On non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Okay, here's what I want to do before we proceed any further. As I mentioned, I, I probably, if I'm real honest, I think... I could probably think of Christians that I'm like, oh, yeah, they're kind of legal eagles. You know, they're a little stricter than I would be on that. I don't have that conviction. But I could look at other people and go, what are they doing? I hope they make it to heaven, right? I think if you're like me, chances are, if you think a little bit, you could probably think of someone today and go, yeah, that's kind of my legal eagle over here. Uh, that person over here would be my heathen dog, my uh, sloppy agape. <laughs> think of those two people as we go through this, this text, because here's what, what I think the Lord is saying today. I think he wants to talk to you directly about the way you think about other Christians. And here's the, the headline over all of it. Things to remember about both your legal eagle and your heathen dog friends. Okay, here's the first one. God has accepted them. And so you should too. Look at verse one. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. The word receive is proslambano. Listen to this. It means to take as one, one's companion, to take by the hand in order to lead, to take or receive into one's home with the collateral idea of kindness, to receive or grant one's access to one's heart. In a nutshell, it means to accept someone. Accept them into your life, Paul says, even those who are weak in the faith. Look at verse 2. 
For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak, only vegetables. All right. I'm a carnivore. I'm strong. Right? Interesting, it says here that the, the stricter individual, and I think a lot of times we think of it different. The stricter individual is the one that Paul calls weak. He did the same thing in uh, Corinthians. And, and it makes sense in, in terms of meat. It's like, okay, yeah, that's the person. They're weak because, meaning, they're like, you know what? I, it's okay if you do that, but I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. He says that's, that's from a position of that they're not enjoying the full grace that's available to them. So they're weak in that way. But look at the very next thing that Paul says about them. Let not him who eats despise. That means to look down on him who does not eat. So you're a carnivore. You're not supposed to look down on the person who says, I can't do that. I, I, that's not, I can't do that. That's not right for me. And let not him, though, he says, who does not eat, judge him who eats. So Paul says to the carnivores, Look, don't speak of the, the herbivores and say, losers. Don't you get it? Look, this food is just inexpensive. Where's your faith? What's your problem? But then he turns and says right to the herbivores, says, look, don't you say the things that are on the top of your head. You'll find out in hell or when a lion eats you. He says to both of them, look, back off. Change the way that you think about fellow Christians. And here's why. Look at it. For God has received him. The word again means accepted. If you're taking notes, uh, we're going to have a bunch of A words, words that begin with A, that help you remember how to treat your fellow Christian that has completely different convictions than you. Here's the first one. God has accepted that person, both the legal eagle and the heathen dog from your perspective. He's accepted that person into his family. First lesson in how to deal with people that are very different than you in their convictions. This would probably be the best way to, to summarize it. Look at the beginning of verse 1. It says, receive him who is weak in the faith. Now skip down to the end of verse 3. For God has received them. Look, God has already accepted them. If they're a Christian, it's because God has accepted them. He has extended the, the hand of, extended the hand of fellowship and said, Come, come, let me lead you now toward holiness, toward uh, godliness. God has accepted them just the way they are, in their weaknesses. The, that uptight legal eagle, the, the person that has that sloppy agape. Can I ask you a pointed question? Is it okay for you? To have a stricter application process than God. Thank you. You didn't have to answer it out loud, but that's good. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. It's not okay. If God will accept them, who am I to say, eh, you're still not up to my standard. Next, not only has God accepted them, but God is able to make them stand, it says. Maybe you can't stand them, but God can make them stand. Look at verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? Now, when he says that, who is the, the, the master? He's talking about God. He's saying, who are you to judge that other person when you're not their master? It's God who's their master. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. 
The word stand is histami. It means to make firm, to establish, to uh, cause a person to keep exactly where they are, to, to make them firm so they won't fall. Interesting. I guess it, it belies a, a tendency on my part, I think, to be a little bit legalistic, at least in some things, because the way I first read this was God is able to make them stand up and account for what they're, they're doing. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying... God is able to make them firm to make sure that they get to the end. They, they get to the end of this process of holiness, godliness. Here, here's the best way to, to understand it in the context of these other verses. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore, God is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. It's the same thing we learned in Romans 11. God's not done. He's in the middle of his project with you, right? Jude 1.24, a lot of times we'll claim this as our own verse, but it's not so convenient to claim it for somebody else. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It's a confidence that I have for me. But when I hear that you're doing that, that I don't, that's, I wouldn't do that. He's saying, look, the idea in verse 4 is that God doesn't leave a project half finished. We've seen that over and over again here in Romans. You guys know that phrase. You've seen it, right? Be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. What Paul would say to us here is, don't forget, that applies to the other guy too. The legal eagle or that heathen dog. God is not finished with them yet. God has not given up on them any more than he's given up on you. That person belongs to God, verse 4 says. Is it really your gig to change them? They signed up to serve God, not you. It comes back to something that we heard said at the apologetics thing. Again, I hope you can make it this coming Thursday. But on the first one, the guy said, uh, Yes, your application to be the fourth person in the Trinity has been declined. Verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Look, God accepted that person. He knew what he was getting when he accepted that person. He took them, him or her on as a project, and he can do quite nicely in finishing that project without your help in all of the matters of opinion. Okay? Again, I'll say it again. This is not saying, Christian, mind your own business. Never talk to anyone about sin. No, no. Listen, we learned yesterday at the men's conference, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we need each other. We desperately need each other. Again, we've had a, a member of our family lose someone. We hurt. It's a body. We're supposed to hurt for one another. We desperately need each other. If I'm going off track, I need for one of you to say... Not right now, but <laughs> say, look, I, in love, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, you're, you're messing up here. And here's where the scriptures say, look, don't do this, but you're doing this. And, and again, not to be right, but instead to win your brother, to encourage them to be able to uh, make sure that they don't go off on the wrong track. Okay, but this is not talking about disputable matters. Not talking about matters of your convictions versus their convictions. It's talking about real life, like adultery, fornication, um, lying, stealing, all of the stuff that is so, so clear in the Scripture. Okay? 
And, and when you do that, when, you, when you're willing to do that to a brother or sister in love, when you, when you follow what the Bible says, look, go after them in gentleness, lest you too be tempted. When you do this thing, th- these things, you are not acting as a judge. You're acting as a friend. Make sense? Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems, esteems every day alike. Paul now actually gives another example of the same principle. Right? First it was meat and, or, or no meat. But here he says, oh yeah, and there's, there's this other example that I can give you of matters of differing convictions. Here's what was happening. Think about it again. The Jews. You're, let's say you're 35 years old. You get saved. You've been going to church every single day on Saturday. Saturday. That's the day we, we worship the Lord. That's right. It's good. I mean, he told us to rest. This is the day we rest. But then Jesus does this rude thing by being raised from the dead on Sunday. <laughs> and, and everywhere you go, these Gentiles are, are meeting on Sunday. Because it's the day that the Lord was raised up. And, and they seem to be perfectly fine with it. You can't understand it. So what he's saying is, look, if, if that bothers you, worship him on Saturday. If, he says, one person esteems one day above another, the other esteems every day alike. See, the Gentiles look at this Saturday-Sunday thing and say, sweet, that leaves Saturday for football. But the Jews are like, many of them, look, I can't do that. I, I'm totally not comfortable with that. It doesn't work. Okay, today, the Seventh-day Adventists, they want to worship on Saturday. Paul would say, fine, perfectly fine. Verse 5, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So, if you have a problem with convictions and how yours interact with another's, Paul is saying today, I think, look, Remember a few things. Number one, God accepted that person. And he, he's not going, oh man, can't believe I took this one on. He accepted them. He is able, we, heard, we learned, to make them stand. And here's the third A. It's kind of still similar vein. That that person, again, your legal eagle or your heathen dog, has an audience of one. We sang the song. Has an audience of one and guess what? You're not it. <laughs> Let me show you. Uh, you guys read the words to the Lord and you will see the audience of both the, the guy who can't eat meat and the guy who does. You'll see the audience of both the, the guy who worships on one day and can't worship on another and the, the guy who worships any day. Verse 6. You read the words to the Lord. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. What Paul would say to the Romans there, look, the guy who wants to worship on Saturday, don't forget, he just wants to please the Lord. And I think Paul would say, and look, the Lord is pleased because the Lord knows their conviction. And he says, OK, what I see there is obedience. It, you, you feel like the right day for, for you to, to go to church to worship is on Saturday and you are obeying that. Well done. That's what the Lord sees. But then there's the Sunday worshiper. 
And he's like, look, I can worship on any day because the, the Lord has saved me. Every day belongs to him. And, and the Lord looks at that person and goes, well done, awesome, faith is what I see. I see faith that, that you trust that all of, my, uh, all of my work is sufficient for you. Okay? Um, example of the carnivore. The carnivore eats. And he says, thank you, Lord, for thinking up barbecue. Awesome. He says, but the vegetarian says, thank you, Lord, for tofu. And the Lord says, I didn't make that stuff. No. no, I'm sorry. See? See how hard it is to keep your, your bias? No, really, what the Lord says is, that's obedience to the conscience that I gave you. And that blesses my heart. See, the point is that the legal eagle that drives you crazy, the sloppy agape person, that you're like, I don't think you're getting it. They have an audience of one. And it's not you. Verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies uh, to himself. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul's next point to remind you about this adversary of yours, the, the, uh, the guy on the other end of the food fight, is this. Your fourth A is this. They will answer to the Lord. Whether it's in this life or the next, they will answer to the Lord. So, guess what? You can relax. Your job is done here. Right? You don't have to be their conscience because they have one. And they will answer to the Lord. Look at how Paul says, look, this is how Jesus earned the right to make the rules for them. Verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Let me paraphrase a little bit sarcastically. Paul says, look, as soon as you give your own sinless life for that person, as soon as you're, you become dead and raise yourself up, as soon as you do all that for them, then you can worry about conforming, conforming them into your image. But until then, <laughs> I'll be waiting a long time. Until then, the Lord was the one who died for them, rose for them. He's the one that they should be conformed to his image. Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? And there specifically, he's speaking to the legal eagle. But then he says, not to forget, or why do you show contempt for your brother? Speaking there to the heathen dog, the guy who's basically like, hey, I'm free. Why aren't you? What's your problem? Why do you judge one or, or show contempt to the other? Look down your nose upon the other. For we shall, look at this, all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul's last point before the summary is one more A word here. Look, not only will your food fight nemesis answer to the Lord, but hello, you will also answer to the Lord. You will give an account to the Lord. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The word account, it means speech, discourse, a report. It says everybody's going to give a report before the Lord. Now, 
It's really important. Again, I don't know. It's awesome to see new faces here. Um, I don't know your situation. I don't know if there are folks here who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. You haven't asked him to pay for your sins. And you haven't uh, entered into a Lord, servant, uh, friend, uh, friend, husband, wife, bride relationship with him. If that's so, I need to kind of make sure that I cover this verse from two different standpoints. Here's the first. If you are an unbeliever, here's the question. When you get to heaven, it says you will give an account. Here's the question that I think you'll answer, something like this. God will say to you, okay, my heaven is perfect. There's no tears here. There's nothing, not one thing that's imperfect here. Why should I let you in? Because please know that if I let anything imperfect into heaven, it's no longer heaven. Okay, now's your chance to give your account. If you're an unbeliever, here's probably what you'll say. Well, uh, I was a pretty good person. And I was better than most, I think. And God will say, okay, roll the tape. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, in light of the fact that, that the Ten Commandments by themselves slay most of us, and then you, then you add on top of that, Jesus came later and said, look, when it says murder, what it really means is to be angry with your brother without cause. When it says commit adultery, what it really means is to look upon a woman with lust in your heart. Okay? Jesus raises the bar so high that none of us can stand before him and give an account that will matter. Okay? That's if you're an unbeliever. I'm going to give you an opportunity later to make sure that that's not the way it looks when you meet the Lord. Okay. Now let me talk about if you're a believer. Okay. Everybody still with me? Everybody with me? Okay. And I want to make sure that I I say this because I had someone come up to me afterwards and go, okay, now, so we all give an account for everything that we've done. No. Listen, if you are a believer, here's what the scene will look like for you. Okay. That thing that I just described is the white throne judgment where... You have to come up with some reason that you think you're worthy of heaven and you're going to be uh, very disappointed. That's the white throne judgment. Okay? If, if you are a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've uh, surrendered it to him, uh, you're not living a perfect life, but you are living a life in tune with him. You're, you're seeking his face. You're, you're, you've made a decision, a conscious decision. You've entered into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. Here's what the scene will look like. Something like this. I don't you know, really know exactly. Something like this. Kind of like an angel will say to you, hey, I, I see here that, that your, your, your name is written right here and that Jesus' perfect life has been accounted to you. His perfect life, the thing that he did, has been put to your account. So what do you say we skip that whole white throne judgment thing? Okay, we're good for that. <laughs> we're going to go over here to the Bema seat. Bema seat. It means uh, the place, it was the place in the Olympics where they would give out the, the gold medals. They would give out the rewards, the awards, okay? So you're, you're walking there, the angel's like, you're going to love this. This is awesome. This is where you get praise from Jesus and the Father. And he notices things like even when you gave a glass of water to someone who was thirsty. Okay, you're like, okay, sweet, good. Come to the throne. And they say, okay, uh, you know, the clerk, whatever. He's. He says, all right, you ready? Give your report. 
uh, my report. Um, okay, well, I know, of course, Lord, that I'm here because of what you've done, right? It's not because of what, what I've done. So I, I am so grateful. I'm so thankful. But if you're talking about rewards, like, you know, I, I know that I'm here because you saved me. But if you're talking in terms of rewards, let me see. Okay, I got a list here. Um, I didn't smoke or drink like so-and-so did. I didn't overeat like so-and-so did. I didn't do that thing that the pastor does. I see him do it every week. Imagine then if the angel stops you and says, oh, maybe you didn't hear the question. You've been giving us an account of other people's. Look at verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Do you hear the, the voice of Paul gently saying to both the legal eagle and to the sloppy agape guy? Look, don't you have enough to do to keep you busy? Just dealing with your own self, your own walk in holiness before a holy God? When it comes to matters of conscience, that is debatable things. Do you really have time to look down your nose on other folks because they don't get it the way you get it? Or to judge them because they don't live by your convictions? Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. It, the, the verse continues, and we're going to look at that next, next time. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to, to fall in our brother's way. Interesting, he's going to put the onus on the stronger brother. He's going to say, look, don't be making your, your uh, weaker brother, your younger brother, if you will, to stumble. Okay, but, but I think it's really valuable if we just stop here at the last word of uh, the middle of that verse. Therefore, let us judge, not judge one another, what, any more. The last A, if you will, if you're taking notes, is any more. I'm not going to do it. From here on out is the idea. Look, when you are tempted to look down your nose at another person because they don't have the same convictions that you do when it comes to debatable matters. When you're tempted to look down your nose and say, well, they're just legalists. When, when those things begin to, to come to you and you're tempted to, to think more of yourself and less of them, Notice that it says, um, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Where, there, sorry, I'm feeling like the Lord was telling me something here to, to make sure and notice. Where is it that it says, sorry, this is a problem with uh, trying to go through my own, own notes. Uh, let him not show, show contempt. There it is. It occurred to me sometimes that we, we go, okay, well, I didn't show contempt. <laughs> but this, this says, no, it's more than that. It's a heart thing, Right? You're not going to get off just by saying, okay, well, I, you know, I obeyed the Scriptures because I didn't show my content. Maybe for you, that's what you're hearing today is, look, let us not judge one another, even in our hearts. When, when that temptation comes, here's the deal. Cry out to God and ask Him to remind you of the things we've talked about today. Look, He has accepted that person. He knew what He was getting and He accepted them. He's able to make them stand. He's not done with them yet. But he is able to, to bring them to the place that he has for them. Glory, right? Look, he is their audience of one. You are not. 
Look, they will answer to him. So you can relax. But more than that, you will answer to him. We all will give an account. 